Uh, my claim's gone. A reminder that our, our Annie Armstrong giving is through our World Missions Offering, which you, uh, uh, I guess, need to know. That is uh, about, um, well, this year our goal is $5,000, and 30% of that offering at the end of the year we send on to the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. We send 50% to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, 30% to Annie Armstrong, 10% to the Colorado Missions Offering, and we keep 10% for missions in our own community. So uh, our goal this year is $5,000, and I believe we're at 3600 and change this year already. So keep giving. I am grateful for the ways that you give. Um, and again, this week, and I was, uh, it was pointed out to me by my daughter, who is her, her, her parent's child, that I put the wrong date on the Mother's Day slide. She pointed this out to me at like 10.58, which I could do exactly nothing about it at that moment. Um, anyway, um, it is May 9th, as a matter of fact, and I may change that cover photo on YouTube when we get that far. But we're going to talk today about extravagant offerings and, and giving in a way that is showing our complete and total trust in our Lord. I love this passage that we're looking at today. It's one of my favorite uh, stories of worship, and it's, it's a unique place there, and, and we, are, we tend to look at things a certain way when we see this, and, and we look at it, I think, the way that uh, some of the opposition looks at it here. But I, I hope today to look at it from several different viewpoints and see how this passage that we look at today is really a picture of the fulfillment of the gospel. And as we looked and watched that video a moment ago and we, we hear the stories of Christ and what he has done for us and we tell that old, old story over and over and over again, we do that for a purpose and for a reason that we might see his kingdom come here on earth. That we would see people come to Christ and have the hope of eternity because of his death, his resurrection, and, and see that our lives have purpose, have meaning, and that are, we are here to glorify him. So, Mark chapter 14, we continue through our journey. Um, it's an interesting turn in the story along the way, but it, it really does fit where we are in, in what, what happened in the, the passion narrative, the suffering of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 14, we'll read verses 1 through 9, and I invite you to stand as we read through God's word together. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribe were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to himself, themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whatever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, 
she has done will be told in memory of her. Lord, thank you for a legacy of a godly woman. And as we think of those people in our lives today on Mother's Day, I pray that we would be reminded of how you count worth in this world. And it has everything to do with who we are in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we got to hear from Austin, and you got to hear from Austin again in prayer because he decided to stay another Sunday, and I said, huh, we'll just take him back up there. So we're going to get our money's worth, Austin. We're glad, you're here. Glad, glad you guys have been here. I've been, we were blessed by that. You did a great job last week, said that, but uh, we, in the, the weeks before, had been in Mark chapter 13, and uh, I told you as we started that, I was a little intimidated by that passage. So much so that when we got the end of Mark 12 in the fall of 2018, I didn't touch it for two and a half years. Not that you should be intimidated by such things. As you talk about as the end of the age, right? No big deal. I appreciate your encouragement along the way. I've heard from more than one of you that it helped. I'm glad. That's only by the grace of God that it did help us understand the fulfillment of history, what God is doing in us and through us and why he has us here. But we need to be reminded that all of this happens in the picture of the passion, the suffering of Jesus Christ. Mark chapters 12 through, uh, through 16, let me look back here a little bit. Actually, chapter 11 through 16 cover the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. Now, that's a lot for one little thing. And I want to remind you that the Gospels in themselves, tell the story of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. They are not a biography. If it was a biography, then we would have probably started out like we did in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 1 and, and had a full account of the whole life of Jesus Christ. But the picture of what we have in the Gospels, in the four books that we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in our scriptures, of the story of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, that he came for a reason and for a purpose. He wasn't just some notable man of history that do, did some really cool things, which those things are true. He was a notable guy, and he did some really amazing things. He came to pay the price. He came to give life. And that's what the story of the Gospels is, the story of the Gospel. And now we come to this place that it's kind of strange after we come and he spends a whole time in chapter 13 talking about the, the last days and what it's going to look like at the fulfillment of history because then we see it turn a corner. This was probably on Tuesday of the week of what we call Holy Week. Remember Palm Sunday was the triumphal entry? They worshipped Jesus. The people met and and gave their hearts and their lives and their, and their, and their possessions and, and worship of Him and praise Him. Hosanna, the Lord saves to the Son of David. They anointed Him as the Messiah in their speech. And now today, we see a different kind of anointing. But really what all of this is about is about fulfillment. A lot of people take this passage and and use it in different ways, and they're not necessarily wrong, but I don't think it's complete. They talk about how Jesus valued women. Absolutely. Jesus valued women. And that honestly was unique in this point in history. You don't see a lot of stories of women. 
you see the stories of all the great men along the way. But Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Mark, if you keep looking back, he draws out stories about how women worshipped him and how they served him. And here we see a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 26. We also see this parallel in the Gospel of John, which really isn't very common. The Gospels, uh, the, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't always have the same stories that the Gospel of John has. This is one of those places, though. And uh, the, the guys I studied, the guys I looked at, brought this out, and it, that it's, it was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who did this. That should bring some things to mind because Lazarus was, was an important fellow, right? He's the guy that Jesus called out of the tomb who had been dead, but now he was alive. He was asleep, as Jesus said, and Jesus brought him back. It was a picture of the prophetic fulfillment of the resurrection. But only one rose for eternity. That was this guy that we speak of here. Now, this fulfillment is important, but Let's get there in a second. It says it was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, likely Tuesday of that week, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth. I like that, how they use that, by stealth. And to kill him. The chiefs and the scribes, the chief priests and the scribes were not happy about this worship he was receiving. They saw it as an abomination. Jesus received this worship, and that was the problem. And there was another guy and his closest friends who saw this as a problem as well. Because we're going to look at that next week, but Judas had a problem with that as well. And that's where we see the conspiracy developing. They said, not during the feast, let there be an uproar from the people. The people who should have been devoted to the Lord were more concerned about the political ramifications. They didn't want to see an uproar from the people. And I think we can think about that in our day and time right now. We live in a, in a time where we see some societal upheaval. Thankfully, it's been minimal in our community, but it hasn't been far from home that it's been real. And it's been deadly. And, and the politicians don't want to see those things, unless they do. Whatever it is, it's a picture of corruption. And that's what we saw here. They were trying to figure out a way to get rid of this guy because he was a problem. He didn't fit the mold. He didn't behave the way they expected the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, to behave. Did that concern Jesus? No, he came for a reason. He came for a purpose. It didn't stop him. And it also didn't stop his followers, those who trusted in him. Because what we see is this anointing is a fulfillment of part of Jesus' purpose here on earth. It goes all the way back even to the, uh, to the gifts that the wise men, the Magi, brought to Jesus at the Christmas, in the Christmas accounts at his birth. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was a prophetic picture of the death that he would have. That he came with a certain purpose. His purpose was to die. Now, that's not a pretty picture. Most of us try to avoid that. Jesus, we see in his prayers, wasn't terribly excited about it. 
Go to John chapter 17, and you go to later, and we'll go into the, the prayers in Gethsemane later. He wasn't too excited about this, but he knew why he was there. And he blows out the, uh, the expectations all along the way, too. How does he do that? Verse 3, it says, While he was at Bethany, Bethany was a small town near Jerusalem, in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table. Okay, right, let's stop right there. He was at a leper's house. Some of your translations might say a serious skin disease. Well, that serious skin disease of the day was leprosy. And it was contagious and it was incurable. Except when this guy Jesus came around. Because what did he do? You, te- you remember the story of the ten lepers, right? He, he healed ten of them. One of them came back in gratitude. He didn't change the fact that the rest of them were healed, but he commended the one who came with gratitude, who came back to worship. Jesus is abundant in his blessings. And one of the primary things he asks in return is gratitude. It's to be thankful for the, his healing. Well, here we see that Simon, common name of the day, he was a leper. We would presume that he was the one Jesus healed, or one of the ones that Jesus healed. And he was reclining at the table. Remember how they did it. They didn't, they didn't have a former, formal banquet, right? We, we picture this, uh, the, you know, big you know, throne-like seats and you know, like that. No, they were, they, were, they were laying down. And here comes this lady with an alabaster flask of pure nard. Now, you can do all kinds of background on that. You can discover that this was imported from the Himalayas or from India, and it was very expensive. We see 300 denarii here. You know, through history, you see that this, this cost is, is compared in different ways to what we have as a dollar, and I, I listened to somebody preaching through this right now, and he compared it to $90. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not a person's salary, I hope, because that won't go very far. But here we see that, um, that the guy said that it was worth basically a year's wages. I don't know about you, but I can't really imagine dumping that much money on somebody's head. Right? Let's put that over here for a second. And let's consider what this woman offered, though. Because she came with this flask, this alabaster flask. It was very costly, it says. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. Let's think about what this could have represented. It could have represented her dowry. You guys know what that is? The, The gift that she had in preparation for marriage. Basically, a year's salary. Remember that they didn't bathe the same way we do now. You know, we wake up and we smell ourselves and we go get in the shower because we have indoor plumbing. No, they, they bathe differently than we do now because they didn't have the same kind of tools we have. But the, the perfume was important because really nobody likes to smell bad, right? But this was designed to be for one of purpose, two purposes. It could be for a wedding, for her wedding, but it could also be for her own burial. She had this in preparation for her own departure. Whatever it says, it was worth a bunch of money. She broke the bottle and she poured it over his head. 
Now think about perfume. Now I don't know about you, I kind of am sensitive to perfumes, and sometimes, and this, and this, please don't take this the wrong way, but sometimes on Sunday morning, I walk home smelling like about five or six different kinds of perfume. And you know what one of the first things I'll do is? I'll go change my shirt because it's overwhelming. It kind of takes over your senses. This being so costly, she takes this gift and dumps the whole flask, however big it was, on Jesus' head. Think about how good and how strong that probably smelled. I mean, these guys were walking down the street going, what happened in that house? It smells good, but I don't know what's going on. And so it was pungent in a good way, but still pungent, still strong. She gave her very best, and she gave all of it. Why? Jesus tells us why. She thinks it's just for worship. We're going to get there in a second, though. Why was the ointment wasted like that? That's what they ask. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now, just think about that statement right there. Do you think that's really what they were thinking? No, they're just saying she poured a bunch of money on the ground. It was gone. Do you think they really would have given it to the poor if they had sold it? I don't think so, because of what we see happen next, and we're not going into that today, but verses 10 and 11 kind of reveal some of those things. We'll get to that next week. Why was it wasted? They were indignant because of the extravagance of her gift. Have you ever felt like that? Perhaps if somebody, if you, if you gave something that you knew you were supposed to give to Christ, whether you gave a big offering to your church or you served in a certain way, whatever, may, whatever it may be, and somebody who, was suppo- who supposedly would have known better said, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Here's the thing. Worship is always worth it. Jesus is always worth our very best. What you give to Christ, what you give to His work here on earth, is never wasted. No matter what we think, no matter how we feel about a certain thing, Jesus is the one that matters. And we can give as much as we possibly can, it's always worthwhile when it goes to bless the Lord. Now, there's a sense of accountability in all of that because God calls us to, to use his resources wisely, yes. But sometimes the wisdom of the Lord is foolishness to men. Right? It says that somewhere. First Corinthians chapter 1, perhaps? And this can be a way where it happens is through our giving. But they were scolding her it says. And some of you might have been there. You've given your very best to God when somebody spits it back in your face. Whatever it may be, whether it's monetary, whether it's your service, whether whatever it may be. Here's the deal. Don't ever be sorry for giving to Christ. For worshiping Him. 
I've been listening to, uh, and this has just come to my mind on that, I've been listening and, and reading through uh, the account of the life of King David. And remember when he, they brought the ark into Jerusalem, he was dancing in the streets in his ephod, and uh, generally naked, and his wife, Saul's daughter, Michael, or Michal, however you want to say that, she wasn't too impressed with it. And, G- and, and David said, I will be more undignified than this, because I'm giving this to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you need to go dance naked in the streets. Please, I don't want to see that. But we should never be ashamed of our offering to Christ, whatever it may be. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? Verse 6, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus is always worth it. For you always have the poor with you. And that's a fact, guys. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't take care of the poor. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that it's all that that I am worth it. That that Jesus, God, is worth it to give everything to Him. And the call of the church is to care for those who are in need, absolutely. But never be sorry for giving to Jesus. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. Do it. Do those good things for them. Serve the poor. Glorify God. By your giving, you will not always have me. Now, this is a very situational spot, right? We haven't seen a physical manifestation of God before us. They did right here. This was a place of fulfillment. Jesus, God in flesh, came to fulfill all prophecy and all the law and give his life as the perfect sacrifice. And this picture, this the, this um, this ointment, he says... Here is for a purpose. She has done what she could. She might not be able to do all the cool things that you and I might be able to do, but she could give Jesus this gift. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Again, Tuesday, Jesus is crucified on Friday. Get that in your mind. Remember the strength of the smell of what just happened. Chances are, Jesus still smelled like this when they presented him before the high priests. This gift would go before the offering. And we want to do all kinds of things and all kinds of great things. We want to put our name on something. And we want to have this big thing saying, how cool am I? Jesus says, this is what you should be striving to do. Glorifying me for my purpose. Jesus came that he would die. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I can't imagine of a greater epitaph for somebody. You know what? I don't know where this lady was buried. Neither do you. And chances are, when she was buried, all of her stones, her bones have been turned to dust. And it doesn't even matter anymore. What matters is what she gave to Jesus. 
And the same thing must be said of you and I. You know, the world would think us to be fools for serving a man who was crucified. But Jesus calls us to lay down our lives the way he did for us. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, because Christ in his death, in his resurrection, brings us true life. And so when we submit our lives to him, he is glorified. And we lay down our own preferences. And yeah, it's a real question to wonder, what happened to this person after she dumped her inheritance on the Savior's head? Well, I can pretty well guarantee that she's in his presence now. Our worship matters. And there is nothing wrong with giving your very best to Christ. So many times we give our leftovers. One of the reasons I think tithing matters, and, and you know, we can say the fulfillment of the gospel means all these things don't, you know, you know, the fulfillment of the law means it don't matter in the gospel. Here's the deal, though. The discipline of tithing draws us to be, be reminded of our dependence on God, of what He has done for us. And if we give our first fruits, so a first tenth, as the word tithe means, tenth, it reminds us of our submission and our reliance upon Him. Because that's a good chunk, guys. Ten percent? I don't know that you notice. But, you know, if you, if you give me a ten dollar and, I, and I, I only got nine dollars left, if I look at it in that perspective, yeah. But here's the deal is that really what it is is that all of it was given to us by God. And He... All he's saying is, give this back to remind you where it came from. And really, that's what's being shown here. All the blessings came from him. And she's giving her all back to him. A couple of the kids talked about the woman who gave her two pennies. Versus, and, and, and how people were, were judging her for that, for how little she gave but it was everything that she had. It was all of it. That's all she had to live on, and she gave everything to God. Don't, there, there's two parts of this right now. Don't worry about the judgment you might receive for an extravagant gift to God. And number two is don't be like these guys and judge somebody else for their gift. God calls us to personal accountability and corporately together we, we can, can join together and give back to what he, uh, all that he is, he's offering. So yeah, but let's be reminded of his goodness and his grace in the midst of everything. Jesus gave us the riches of heaven on the cross. whether it's a, an alabaster jar of pure nard worth a year's wages, whether it's our inheritance that we've received from, from a family member, or whether it's what we might give to our kids as we go. None of it's ours anyway. Our lives are to be as this woman's life was, an offering. She gave everything she had to worship the King.
Are you willing to do the same? Jesus gave it all that we might trust him and find our salvation in his name. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Thank you for your extravagance. How you have given your family, your children, those who trust in your name, the riches of heaven. Help us, God, today to bless you, to trust you, to give you everything, to follow the example of this woman who had been given life to give everything she had to bless you with. I thank you, Lord, for, for your grace to us and your faithfulness. Help us to bless you this day. In Jesus' name. Stand and let's turn our eyes on him. Let's bless him today.